Hey everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Magazine, and one of the hottest topics that we always get a lot of engagement on from our Facebook page is when we talk about survival teams and how to work with others toward a common goal. Well, this week we expand the concept even more by going beyond just everyday survival tasks like food gathering and carpentry and scavenging and things like that. We take an in-depth look at the often overlooked factor of community defense and how to prepare your friends and neighbors to safeguard your entire perimeter when the world goes to hell in a handbasket. Now, this is our first broadcast with survival expert and blogger Pat Henry, and I really loved what he had to say. I know you're going to also, so let's go ahead and get started with this week's broadcast. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive. If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. It's a basic tenet of any conflict that you need to be prepared to defend your location at all costs from those who seek to infiltrate your safe zone. I mean, kings had their castles with high stone walls and moats, and for military forces, they have bases which are, at a minimum, guarded by fences and guard posts. And we civilians in the present day have our homes often protected by locked doors, windows, and security alarms. Now, hopefully, this describes you. But here's the thing. When it comes to a collapse in civil order from a wide-scale crisis or a disaster, are you thinking too small? What if it wasn't just a couple of thugs trying to break into your home, but rather a larger threat you were facing? What if your entire community was being infiltrated by opportunists on a rampage? Would you be able to fend them all off by yourself or have the leadership skills to band together your community to face the threats in mass and ensure victory of your entire neighborhood? So the question now is, what are these threats you may face, and how can you and your neighbors best take advantage of your collective skills and supplies to protect your family and your community? That's exactly what we're here to find out right now. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare in your role as a protector and a patriot. And to discuss preparing your neighborhood to survive an emergency or even an attack from external forces, we're here with survival expert Pat Henry. Hello, Pat. Welcome to the program. Hey, thanks to be here, Jeff. I've been looking forward to this all week, so I'm ready to dig right into it. Now, Pat is a veteran of the U.S. Army and a driven patriot who believes wholeheartedly in self-reliance. Pat draws upon his military experience and several years of survival training to develop a self-reliant lifestyle and a fast response action plan for when the warning signs of impending doom turn to red flags. Now, he's a prolific writer whose articles have been viewed over three and a half million times by people in over 160 countries. And you can learn more about Pat and his training at www.thepreppertjournal.com. Now, Pat, an attack on your neighborhood may seem a little far-fetched to some people. And I think most people who are concerned with things like looters or the other enemy during a collapse are really just planning to just hunker down, throw up a, a looters will be shot sign up on their front yard and just say, screw the neighbors. You know, it's all it's all on them. They're every man for himself. So what are your best arguments for teaming with neighbors for a larger defense plan of your neighborhood during a crisis? And who exactly 
are the people I may have to face as an enemy to me and my neighbors? Well, it um, you know it really depends on on the crisis. I mean, when we're talking about a, a collapse scenario, um, basically you could you could be looking at widespread panic, um, widespread disaster, you know, complete absence of service. Um, you know, no no uh, medical services, no law enforcement services, no fire protection services. You know, collapse would be pandemonium. Um, so. I think the, you know, the logical, uh, benefits to, you know, forming together are, you know, their strength in numbers. Uh, when you have, you know, more people that are able to come together as a community and, um, you know, provide for each other, that's going to be stronger than the person that just locks himself in their home and, and puts out that looters will be shot sign, which, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to spray painting that on the, on the front lawn too, but, um, it really is, uh, infinitely wiser to be, uh, with a, a larger group. There's more, you know, you'll have more eyes to look out for you. You'll have more backs to do any labor. You'll have more perspective on the situation from a, a wider audience. The, the trick is how do you convince all these people that it is important to band together or that there is a need? And that's one of the things we talk about, you know, so often because I, I don't feel that you can before a crisis, um, you know, necessarily get a bunch of people, uh, on board with forming a neighborhood, you know, defense plan. It's, it's just not going to be the, the urgency is not going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people would you know, probably think you're crazy unless, you know, something was actually happening. So uh, once that crisis or that collapse does happen, then you'll have the motivation. Uh, people will be willing to come together. It will be not so much as how do I convince these people to, to join a group. It's like what do we do now as a as a community? And and so in thinking of you know what do you do now? You have to you have to look at the threat and you know who is the threat. I think in a collapse or even you know a you know something not quite a collapse but um you know maybe a regional disaster something like katrina if if it's if it's regional and it's short lived i think the, the most immediate thing you'd have to worry about would be looters people that are looking to um you know have short term gains off this uh you know opportunity as the crisis is longer or if it's more severe then you're going to have to be worried about people won't loot anymore. They won't be looking for TVs. They're going to be looking for food. They're going to be looking for supplies that will keep their family alive. Um, you know, I think these these nomads that are wandering around looking for anything that, uh, you know, can feed their, their children that are hungry because they did not prepare are going to be who you need to worry about. And that's especially um, outside major metro- metropolitan centers. And then lastly, as as it gets really, you know, long-term and severe, you're going to have organized bands of criminals that are um, probably just looking to kill and destroy and uh, take everything by force. They've practiced uh, on other homes, other communities, so they're going to be armed, they're going to be dangerous, and they're just not going to care, and those are going to be probably the most uh, dangerous threat you have to face. Yeah, I think it's really interesting also that you bring up that, you know, kind of banding your neighbors together now, unless you're living in kind of a self-reliant community, is really going to be difficult. So it really, it really, you have to assume the role as a survivalist of being the, the future 
leader, the future, like you have to plan now basically for what your neighbors probably will never even think about. I mean, most, I think even survivalists never really think out, outside of defending their home. And so we're talking about a wider picture here, but, you know, don't go out and start, I, I guess the, the point of this interview is like, don't go out and start knocking on your neighbor's doors and saying, hey, <laughs> let's get all of our, our weapons and ammo and food together for, for the collapse and, and, and just going out and, you know, you are going to be kind of the, the nut job in the neighborhood maybe for now. But when a crisis does hit, all of a sudden, if you, that's not the time to be planning this. And that's why this is very timely to be thinking of it right now for your own community. Pat, in, in setting up a neighborhood defense plan during a collapse, there's a natural challenge for most people in that these areas are designed to have lots of easy access for people, right? I mean, there's there's always roads coming in. There's like it's that's the way neighborhoods are set up, but that also naturally makes it hard to defend because there are so many potential avenues of attack. How exactly would someone go about viewing their neighborhood from a tactical perspective and plan out their physical defense strategies? Right. Well, you know, in, in most of our most of our homes, and certainly in suburbia, we have um, you know homes that are, are plotted out along streets. They're laid out in some sort of loose grid formation. You know, there's there's access uh, from all four all four sides. We don't live in walled compounds, mm-hmm. uh, and we don't um, in suburbia even have the advantage of you know big concrete structures that we can use. Um, you know, like they, they can in the cities, you know, the cities are a little bit better in that you have giant blocks of cover that you can use to your advantage. In suburbia, you, uh, you know, there's no walls. You just walk across the street and you can go into someone's backyard or maybe hop a fence if it's, if it's really, um, you know, really, you know, a, a secure community. But I think there's, there's, um, there's some things that you can do to, Start, you know, looking at it tactically so you can understand, first of all, who is, who is the enemy? Who do we have to worry about? It's not going to be people driving in tanks usually. It's going to be that person that's, that's walking through the woods or coming down the street, possibly, you know, um, you know, whose car is abandoned on the highway that is, that is migrating out. Um, you know, someone who's leaving a major metropolitan area who's looking for safety and security. Um, you know, knowing what's going on around your neighborhood, having some situational awareness, um, not only of your neighborhood, but, um, you know, who's coming into your neighborhood. So knowing what is around you from a, a greater view than just your street is going to be beneficial, too. So maps are a great tool to have now that anyone can take advantage of, um, you know, while the grid is up. Uh, and you can have these resources that are, are going to give you a different perspective than you would have if, if, uh, you need to have this intelligence after the grid went down. So sites like, um, Google Maps, uh, you know, Google Earth, uh, mytopo.com, you can download detailed topographical maps of your entire region. Um, scribblemaps.com is another good resource that allows you to um, you know, do a, a satellite view of your neighborhood and, and, you know, play with, uh, positioning of resources like, um, fields of fire, observation points, you know, roadblocks. It just allows you to, to have that kind of, uh, information from a 30,000 foot view that you, you wouldn't have if you were sitting there looking down the, down the street at someone walking towards you. And then you have to remember that, uh, 
you do have some advantages as as uh, you know the 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 defenders will just say of of your neighborhood. Um, you know, if you take steps before uh, you know some gang of you know violent uh, MS-13 members is coming down your street, you know you have the ability to fight from cover. You know, people coming into your neighborhood are not going to have that same ability. They're going to have to be out in the open, and you can use that to your advantage. Um, you have the home field advantage, so you know your streets, you know your neighbors, you know the, the backyards, the trails through the woods, you know the, the paths that have a fence and paths that don't. You have that advantage that they don't. And you have the ability to prepare. So once that crisis happens, um, and I know you said that you probably it's probably not smart to go out before anything happens and start talking to your neighbors, but you can be ready to go and be a leader when something does happen and say, here, look, I've thought about this and this is something that we need to, um, you know, we need to start doing now. When that threat is we- real, you'll have the ability prepare to prepare ahead of time for these people coming into your neighborhood. Well, it also seems like, I mean, you were in the military too, and you know, anytime that we we had missions and we were running stuff, like we had the big map board, right? It was like all the map, I mean, I remember having to put those damn things together. In fact, we had sand tables, they had to create all yeah. these different 3D, you know, kind of dioramas and everything. And, but the thing is, is like those do help. Like, so you're saying like, you know, get a map, but that does allow you to look at avenues of access and where natural choke points are and, and, you know, so even if your your neighbors aren't thinking like this, have, being able to have that map available, having those points of observation like you're talking about and and choke points and access areas and, and, and where, if something were to happen, you would have the ability to put up obstacles, uh, what natural obstacles are there, wh- where should you put obstacles to have the best benefit. Having all that ready to go just makes it, you know, so much easier to transition quickly from crisis to being prepared. So that that makes a lot of sense. Now, we're talking with Pat Henry of theprepperjournal.com about developing your neighborhood defense plan in the midst of a crisis or collapse. And we'll be back in just a minute with more questions as we delve into establishing command and control and Pat's advice on weapons and other defense supplies. But first, check out this message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. 
Okay, we're back with Pat Henry of theprepperjournal.com to discuss how to plan and execute your neighborhood defense plan during a crisis or collapse. Now, Pat, as a fellow veteran, you know that command, control, and coordination are critical to any mission plan in the military. And when we're looking to coordinate your neighbors to defend your community, it's just as critical. So what are your best strategies for coordinating a proper intel and response plan, especially given the challenge of guarding a larger area outside your home? Uh, well, it's it's really going to come down to a large degree on, um, you know, what kind of resources you have. So how many people that you have in your neighborhood that can, um, you know, band together. If it's just you and maybe your next door neighbor, your, your area of control is going to be a lot smaller. If it's, you know, 50, 100 people, um, you know, you're going to be able to, you know, do a lot more. I think, uh, you know, one of the hardest things is, uh, establishing some form of leadership and I'm not, I'm not saying that you should jump up and, and take charge, but by nature of you having thought through some of these issues that your neighbors are going to be faced with by having a plan, by having some supplies, um, I think that's naturally going to put you in charge, at least in the mind of people who are scared and who are looking for something to do. And, you know, once, once you have Someone, it doesn't even necessarily have to be you, but someone needs to be in charge. Someone needs to make decisions based upon information. Um, you know, so you have someone in charge, you need to establish rules of engagement. So as a neighborhood, as a team, what are we going to do when people come into our neighborhood? Um, you know, the military has their own rules of engagement, things like, you know, do not shoot unless you're know, fired upon. So that's an example of a rules rule of engagement. If someone's walking down your street, are we going to shoot them? Are we going to stop them? Are we going to tell them to go away? What are we going to do? So, you know, discuss that with your, with your, your neighbor and then, or your neighbors, and then you'll, you'll all be on the same sheet of music. Well, that's and, not, and that seems pretty cut and dry to like a lot of people. It's like, well, why, I mean, why would we fire on them? But I guess it's all predicated on, like what level of crisis are you in anyway? You know, if it was just like a tornado came through or whatever, and you know it's a short-term deal, it's not like, okay, if anyone comes down this road, you know, ask them for the password once. If they don't know the password, shoot their tires out or, you know, whatever it is. Like, obviously, it's there's going to be threat level. So it makes sense to really talk with people ahead of time or, or I mean, when that happens, like assessing the threat and agreeing on it because, it's not like you can just give orders like in the military and everybody has to carry them out. You really need a lot of like emotional and you need a lot of buy-in. And that is going to really, it seems like it's going to be really dependent on the level of crisis and what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, like you said, if it was a, if it was a regional, you know, like a tornado ripped through your town and, and uh, you know, there was zero infrastructure and it was chaos, it'd be a temporary chaos. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so you're, the actions that you would do necessarily after some event like that would be completely different than a collapse. Um, you know, a collapse assumes far more dire um, circumstances and potentially, you know, you know, larger threats against your neighborhood. Well, and I guess intel wise too, like if you know, if it is a collapse or, you know, and you know that there's been a motorcycle gang that's been a threat in the area and that, you know, your intel is, is that they have gone through, they have ravaged homes, they have, you know, there, that there have been killings or home invasions, then, you know, that intel and getting that spread out seems like, you know, then it's like, okay, we know, we, we have information that these people are dangerous and so we need to be able to respond appropriately 
knowing what we know. Right, exactly. And and that intelligence was, you know, my next point. It's it without intelligence, you are stuck with the information that's presented right in front of you. So, you know, getting outside of your neighborhood is going to be critical to know what's going on, what's coming your way. Um, you know, monitoring radio. So I mean, that's, you know, Prepper 101 is to have a, a backup radio. So even if the TV's out, there's no electricity, someone's still broadcasting on the radio. And, and you might even be, you know, picking up signals from another country. Um, but, you know, monitoring radio signals are going to give you intelligence. Or if you have a ham radio, that's probably even better because that's regional and you're going to be able to communicate with people outside of your neighborhood and get news, get that intelligence um, that is going to be important to help you formulate a plan and prepare for what's coming. Yeah. Now, Pat, obviously, Unless you and your neighbors are secretly storing a 155 howitzer in your basement, which I'm, I'm going to assume most people aren't. <laughs> I'm going to assume that, but it's, it's not like you're going to take on an entire mechanized infantry platoon or a militarized police force armed with heavy firepower. And I always love the people that, you know, they just say like, you know, you'll pry the weapon out of my cold dead fingers. You know, it's like, yeah, well, when the, a Bradley comes rolling down your street or, if it's if it is like a gang or something like that and they do have you know even if it's just heavily armed you know 4x4s or something that they can plow through or they get they get control of a humvee something that can kind of barrel through you know you you are looking at the potential for for heavy firepower there but if it came down to a strong show of force that was threatening your neighborhood i mean we'll kind of assume worst case scenario here what are the best tactics that someone could employ that could at, at least even the odds out and give you and your survival team a fighting chance versus a, a more a more heavily armed, you know, reinforced force? Mm, right. Yeah. And and I think I think the most important thing that you can have that would you know make your odds better is was um, it would be communication. Being able to communicate to the people in your neighborhood. Um, via radio, um, is gonna, is gonna help you all be on the same sheet of music when it comes to what, what the threat is, where it's coming from, and, and, you know, what our group plan is to address that threat. Um, these small, uh, you know, FMS radios that everybody can get at, at Walmart are, are great. They're, um, now it's not gonna be encrypted communications. You're gonna be on the same kind of band that everyone else is. Uh, but if you do have, you know, a communication option, then your team is going to have an advantage of at least being able to communicate. I mean, part of the, the mantra is shoot, move, and communicate. So you need to be able to communicate to let everyone else know what's going on. So if you're, uh, you know, facing contact in one direction, you know, you can rally resources over there. If there's a situation and uh, one person is dealing with it, everybody on the team can know. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing would be to restrict access. So you can uh, really, even if they are coming in on, um, you know, it's a motorcycle gang or one of my favorites uh, or, um, you know, big SUVs or even, you know, military vehicles, they, they can be stopped or severely slowed down using, you know, some some of the methods that, uh, you know, we use in the military. The number one thing is restricting access. So if you've got, um, if you've got roads coming into your neighborhood, there's ways that you can um, place obstacles in that road that would prevent anyone from coming in. So if you live in the suburbs, 
and you have trees, then you can drop trees across your roads that, um, you know, no military vehicle short of a tank is probably going to be able to get over. Um, you can do this in a way where you can make an obstacle that <clears throat> military vehicle is not going to be able to get over. An SUV is not going to be able to get over, but you can put these, uh, organize these in a way so that cars can get through them, although they'll have to go really slow. You do this so that you slow down traffic. No one can overrun your position. Um, and, you know, this this way at least you're not going to be overrun with vehicles. That's not going to stop people from creeping in the woods, but it is going to be able to, to direct traffic, um, keep traffic from you know, overrunning your position. And to back this up, you're going to need to have fields of fire that are able to, to bear upon um, you know, any vehicles coming in. So if someone does, you know, pull up to your location with a big SUV, you need to not only have someone there to, to address that threat, but you probably need to have three or four other people that can address it and just have your fields of fire all directed down on that road. Um, you know, that's good for roads, but what about, uh, what about, you know, walking through the woods? And that's where, you know, other people were, Patrols are going to have to go out and, you know, watch for, you know, this type of activity in your, in your neighborhood. And again, it comes back down to how many people you have to, to watch. Yeah. Now, do you recommend, I mean, so there's, we always talk about this, this difference between going out and looking like you are a force versus kind of blending in, you know, so, you know, and I guess it'll, it'll also be dependent upon what the scenario is in your area and things like that. But, you know, there's there's going out with AR-15s, you know, strapped on and in camouflage and combat boots going out as a force patrolling around like your military versus just going out like you're three people, you know, basically you, you're on a, a covert recon mission, so to speak, or patrol so that you don't draw attention from people who think, oh, wow, hmm, there's some people who have weapons. They probably have food. Maybe I should just like stay back and, and track them where they're going. Sure. I mean, it, you know, it depends on, you know, I always say it depends on the crisis and, and it would depend on the location a lot too. If you're out in the country, um, and, you know, you run into a guy wearing camouflage with a rifle, he could very well be hunting. Um, if you're in the city and you run into a guy with a, a rifle and camouflage, well, then it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. I think you could definitely be more covert. In some situations, you know, we, we talk about be the gray man. So if you're in a city, you would not probably want to be, uh, you know, rocking your AR, you know, with yeah. your bulletproof vest on and, you know, your 16 mag pouches, you know, walking down the street. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think in, in different situations, you, you can get away with different things and, and certainly a more, uh, suburban environment. Um, you might want to be in camouflage, you know, with your weapon. It just depends on the threat. And I think, um, the crisis, like you said, and, and where you at affect that. Yeah. And just for clarification, when we're talking about roads, so when it, when it comes to roads and you're talking about restricting access, like to larger vehicles, which is probably, you know, one of the bigger threats, because the, the more, the bigger the vehicle is, maybe the more reinforced it is, or, you know, especially if it's military type vehicles, MRAPs, that sort of thing. But, like you're talking about like placing, like let's just say we have trees, but there's also like, like if you took, um, refrigerators. Cause I mean, let's say a power grid's down, the refrigerators are no good anyway for a lot of people in your neighborhood. So maybe like stacking them in like a left, right zigzag thing where some, where any vehicle that would come through would have to take its time 
and zigzag through kind of like a maze in order to get to a checkpoint or restrict that access to be able to slow them down, to be able to identify potentially counterattack if needed, that sort of thing? Right. I mean, at, at a certain point, if it's if it's severe enough, then you're looking at doing anything you can. Um, refrigerators would be good. Uh, I think to make them better, you would want to fill them with dirt. Um, an empty refrigerator is is not that that mm. big of a barrier, but if you fill it with dirt, then it's it's harder to move and it becomes a good source of you know cover for you too. So refrigerators, cars that um, have the wheels taken off of them, anything that's just going to be a, a giant barrier to uh, you know someone coming down your street. Oh, that's a great. Those are great tips. Let's go ahead and, and stick with kind of that, that supplies thing here and finish everything out. So, Pat, what, what sorts of weapons and supply considerations should I be looking at so that my neighborhood defense team has all it needs to defend our area during a collapse in civil order? Well, Jeff, I know you're, you're, a, you're a big fan of pistols, but I think in, in this situation, uh, just thinking about a collapse, um, you know, my number one go-to you know, weapon in a, in a situation like this would have to be a semi-automatic rifle. Um, and then for me, that's going to be an AR-15 for, you know, a lot of reasons. Um, you know, it's a, it's a military weapon. It's all the police officers have them. Uh, it's going to be you know, my preferred weapon so that I have something that can, if needed, uh, lay down a lot of firepower in a you know, short period of time. Um, so, Will other weapons work? Absolutely. Um, you know, could you put a 22 to work guarding your neighborhood? Sure, you, sh- you could. Could you kill someone with a 22? Absolutely. Um, I'd rather have, you know, the the benefit of a, a higher capacity, you know, magazine first of all, and you know, a heavier cartridge. Shotgun would be great too, but their range is limited. So, I think. All around, my my pick would be an AR. Mm-hmm. Um, hunting rifles would be great for um, you know sharpshooter positions. Uh, definitely, you can take someone out with a uh, with the bolt action thirty out six. But I mean, my thirty out six only holds four rounds, so I would want to you know leave those to people um, who are maybe in a sharpshooter position. But that's that's just weapons. If uh, you know you have to you have to use what you can. There might be some situations where People are using machetes and baseball bats and, you know, hockey sticks and, um, you know, you're just going to have to go with what you can. If you have the resources now and you, um, you know, can legally purchase a, a firearm, I would recommend something like an AR-15 for, for a collapse scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the weapon. Then, you know, next thing would be, you know, so what type of supplies? Radios. Like I said, radios are something that you can use now. You don't have to have the end of the world happen, and you can use radios to uh, uh, communicate. You can take them camping. You can use them on car trips. Your kids can play with them. Um, but they're going to give you the, that, uh, the ability to talk to everyone in your group and stay on the same page. Food might not sound like it's a, um, you know, a, the perfect neighborhood defense uh, supply, but you you want to be able to eat and not go out of your neighborhood. If you're worried about people coming into your neighborhood, you don't want to leave your neighborhood to try and find food. So food is one of those prepper supplies that we always, you know, want to cross off our list first. You know, that's the the, the beans part of the beans bullet and band-aids. Mm-hmm. Binoculars. 
you can get a, a good pair of binoculars for less than 50 bucks, and those are going to help you with that intelligence too, help you see what is coming at you and, uh, you know, have a different perspective on, on what's coming your way. Um, chainsaws. Chainsaws are good for chopping down those trees. Yes, you can do it with an axe, but a chainsaw is a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, that's for um, damn sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, regular working gear like shovels, heavy-duty shovels, gl- uh, gloves, heavy-duty boots, you do not want to be defending your neighborhood in flip-flops. So, um, you know, making sure you have uh, tools to do rough work with. and um, you know, things like sandbags. You can buy sandbags for 36 cents a piece if you, you know, and I'm sure you can probably buy them che- cheaper than that somewhere. But sandbags are, um, you know, great to build barriers. They're great to, you know, protect your homes from flooding if, if it was that kind of disaster. Um, things like barbed wire. You can get barbed wire or, you know, fencing wire at, uh, you know, any home improvement place. Um, that can be great for, um Trip uh, impediments. You can set up a little trip trap. Uh, you can, of course, use it to you know, just keep people from you know, coming in, hold them up. Yeah, barbed wire can be cut with with wires and everything, but it's still one more thing that you can use to slow people down. And power. Um, so these, assuming it's a collapse, assuming there's no power, you're going to want something uh, to charge these devices. So solar. Solar chargers are great to charge up these radios, possibly these headlights you're going to be, or these headlamps you're going to be using to see at night. Um, a way to recharge these devices that you're going to depend upon. Generators are great, but you're going to run out of gas and you don't want a lot of noise to be coming out of your neighborhood. You don't want people to know and there's someone in there that has a generator. Someone has power. Someone has something I want to steal. And then lastly, um, night vision. Night vision would be probably the most important thing you can have, but it's one that nobody's going to have, or rarely will anyone have night vision. Night vision is one of those things that's uber, uber military. It's extremely useful, but the only time you would really need it is if you're going to war, and they're they're really expensive. Um, so night vision, if if you had money and everything else was taken care of, you know, buy night vision so that you could see the threat that was coming at you in the dark. Um, but there's, you know, just some, just some things like that on the list. Yeah. And fortunately, I mean, actually the prices of night vision have surprisingly gone down a lot, a lot since, you know, even like the monoculars, not even like the, like the military style strap on the helmet flipped down in front of your eyes, but. You know, nowadays you can get them relatively inexpensively, and I don't. And I have to admit, I don't have a pair, and that makes total sense to have that. But here's, so let me pull out a couple of things that, that that I think were really important about what you just said. So number one is that there seems to be like this layering effect that can happen. So when it comes to weapons, it's like it's it's always going to be dependent, right? Like you're gonna, when we're talking about fields of fire, um, determining where your ch- choke points are, determining what you know the different ranges you might have to take on a threat. It's always better, right, to to engage a true threat, a true threat from as far away as possible, where they're, you know, you're at least delaying them, you're able to take out as much as you can before they get ultra close and it goes into close quarters combat type range. But so having like that, that 308, the 30 at six for longer distance, 
Um, and then short, maybe slightly shorter distances, you've got an AR-15, some sort of a semi-automatic rifle, uh, pistols for close in, right? Um, mm-hmm. Hockey sticks for <laughs> when it's like, oh, <laughs> shit, it's like it's all off. And that's so, when the zombies are walking down the that's street. That's right. <laughs> Um, so that layering seems to be seems to be really important, as well as um, when you're thinking along a, a lar- you know a larger force, so to speak, like really taking stock in what what people do have available and where are the cons- where's the consolidation available. Obviously, if if everybody was using um, an AR-15, you could consolidate that ammo. If you have a whole bunch of different people using different weapons. It becomes a little bit, you know, harder. And again, if you're not planning this ahead of time, and and it's just like at when a crisis hits, you're not going to be able to maybe plan that as much. If you do have a pre-planned team, you know, if if you're truly building a survival team in your community, it makes sense to try and get everybody on that, you know, like using the same ammunition, things like that. And then when when we talk about communication, layering that also. So you brought up like. You know, just like two-way radios work pretty really well in close range. Um, for lo- for longer range, you might look at like a, C- a citizens band radio, or for even longer range, a ham radio. So you can you can really layer your intel and your communication for command and control in in different kind of perimeters around your area as well. The other thing that um you know, I love, I love the list that you go down. There's stuff in there that I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of and I'm truly not prepared for. So I, I enjoy that list. Now, here's what's cool about it is that now with this list that you've, that you've given people, like that, that's your go-to stuff. So now when you, when a crisis does hit and you are consolidating your neighborhood and you're saying, look, um, we need to pull together on this. That list is a, is a great thing to go down. It's like, okay, who has shovels? Who has gloves? Who has, I mean, in my area, I'm in, I'm in the middle of nowhere, so I know there's probably going to be people that even have barbed wire, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but who has a chainsaw? Who has binoculars? Like, that's a really good list that most people won't think about of, you know, that's, that's a great checklist. And so I think people can even expand on that on their own of developing their checklist now. So, so you've got your maps, you have your communication, maybe you plan a little bit outside of just your family and, and have some extra food available, some, you know, a water supply, you know, a way to, a way to filter water, things like that, that that's also going to help people to not necessarily see you as a leader, but when you're looking to band people together, that you have the ability to, to help take care of them, that really builds a lot of cohesion. And, and, you know, from being in the military, you know, Unit cohesion is really, really critical, especially when when you're going into combat. Sure. Yeah, everybody has to be rowing the same way. And exactly. It, and it just makes everything work much better. Yeah. Yeah, great. Well, Pat, this is really great information. I really appreciate you coming on today. And I know there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to be thinking more outside the box and outside just their family and really – Really see the benefits of coordinating a larger defense force if they ever need it. Look, everyone, Pat has a lot of great information about all types of survival strategies, and his site is definitely on my reading list for gathering really, really great tips. So make sure that you go check out his training. It's at www.thepreppurjournal.com. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This 
has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.